This is 91.3 KBCS, The Grit. I'm your host, Yuko Kodama. We highlighted the Tasvir Film Festival recently, an event featuring South Asian and South Asian American films. Next is a highlight of one of the films featured in the Tasvir lineup. The title of the documentary is Writing with Fire, and it's about a news outlet called Kabberleria. It's the only women-led news outlet in India. The film is directed by an Indian couple, Rintu Thomas and Sushmit Ghosh. You'll hear from Thomas first. Tell me a little bit about the film, Writing with Fire, that will be featured at the Tasvir Film Festival this year. Writing with Fire is the story of India's only newspaper that's uh, run entirely by rural Dalit women. It's situated in the state of Uttar Pradesh in India, where typically a journalist meant that you were a man who belonged to a dominant caste. And so being Dalit women, most of whom had never been to a school and never touched a smartphone, daring to dream to create a digital agency is really the landscape of the film. This is a film that encourages people to rethink or reimagine what they already know about hope, uh, courage, and, and the dignity of human life. Could you describe what Dalit is? India has a caste system. And in, according to the Hindu scriptures, human beings are divided into four castes. And there is a community of people who have been kept out of this caste system, which is the Dalit community, very loosely translated as also in English as untouchables. And caste is, I would say, the most cruel ways of segregation that continues to exist in in modern society. Uh, It is constitutionally banned in India, but it's practiced in very sinister, visible and invisible ways. So Dalit women have, have borne the greatest brunt of the system of injustice. And so for Dalit women to be rewriting their history and future using a very non-violent form of journalism is just a very powerful space to begin the conversation. And it's a system that's been practiced for nearly 3,000 years now. So while the constitution banned it in 47, it's something that is deeply ingrained in the way Indians essentially live their lives. This is Sushmit Ghosh. You can see it play out in very obvious ways as you go out into the rural parts of the country where you can really see caste segregation play out in literally how people live, how people access water, roads, schools, etc. And in cities, it works in slightly different ways. Uh, Your surname is a giveaway of potentially what caste you belong to. Just to contextualize it, Think about segregation in the 60s. And if you are a black woman who has to take a bus and you can only sit in at the back of the bus, you will not be allowed anywhere. Or you go into a town and you want to buy yourself a a bottle of Coke, you will only be given access to certain parts of the town. Only certain shops will serve you a bottle of Coca-Cola. And that's just a very simplistic example. I mean, for instance, to give you more sort of visceral uh, understanding of caste, in some parts of Uttar Pradesh, it's practiced with such vengeance that the very act of someone who's Dalit 
looking at someone from a higher caste could lead to severe consequences because the act of looking itself is seen uh, as a violation of the purity of the upper caste. People have been lynched uh, because of that. And the fact that access to drinking water or the public well in the village, the Dalit community will not have access to that well. The fact that there are certain roads that you do not walk because they are not meant for you. You only take the roads that are the outlying roads, you know. Uh, the fact that you're not supposed to cross paths with, say, quote-unquote, a Brahmin or a priest because your very sight or your very presence is meant to pollute uh, the upper castes. That's how violent the practice of caste can be. And the, the body of a Dalit woman is considered the privilege of uh, the upper caste man to exploit at will. And so that is also one of the reasons why rape is not just a sexual crime in these regions. It's also driven by the socio-economic politics of the upper caste man believing that he has a right over the body of a, of a Dalit woman. It's also very spatial. If you're in a village, the center part of the village would be taken up by the dominant caste and the Dalit community would be in one corner away from the rest of the uh, village because they don't want to interact. Uh, the physical interaction is very clearly demarcated in a spatial sense. So your children will not go uh, to a school where uh, dominant caste children study. It's practiced in such a very strong way in Uttar Pradesh. That's where the story is located. So that is why access to education, generally access to education for women in India is low. They're low on priority. So if you're a Dalit girl child, it's even more harder for you. You're very low on priority. How did you get involved in this topic? We saw a photo story about Kavaleria's work and that really intrigued us because the image of a woman walking through a media dark village with a newspaper in her hand uh, and a newspaper she helped report on and, and get published. And now it was, was distributing. It was a very powerful point of curiosity. And uh, one of the first meetings that we were invited to attend was uh, this meeting where uh, Mira was leading the conversation around, should we stay print or do we make this move to digital? And just as, as filmmakers, we're very interested in stories that encourage people to reimagine narratives around who counts, who belongs, and, and who decides. As the women were bouncing off each other, some excited, some nervous. It just felt like here is a story about women who've typically never had a voice, reclaiming that voice, uh, a newspaper in a moment of great transition, and a country in a moment of great flux. And it just felt like, you know, the story walked up to us and said, let's fly. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, what were some of the things that they would write about? What were some of the topics? We assume that they would be reporting on the community, atrocities against Dalits, specifically focusing on women. But much to our pleasant surprise, they were operating just like any other news institution where they were reporting on what journalists should be doing, holding the administration and systems of power accountable 
making sure that public funds were being utilized, making sure that they were reporting on roads, on healthcare, on education. After they shifted to digital, they discovered many more new avenues to sort of like break away their format. So, I mean, now they're doing podcasts on women's health, relationships, menstrual health and hygiene, and just breaking these taboos around subjects that... I, I think it's really radical because people don't talk about something as basic as menstrual health in these parts of the country. And for them to be talking about it in a fun podcasty sort of format really pushes people to reimagine, you know, their mothers, their wives, their sisters or daughters. And what makes it even more interesting is now because they've shifted to digital, they can actually look at their demographics, who is the audience, what is the age, and primarily, even now, a bulk of their audience is young men between the ages of 18 and 25, consuming news on YouTube, Facebook. And so when you imagine these young men looking at such material and consuming such content, it is intangible, but it is definite change that is happening through the work that they're doing. So they do a whole host of things, but they function like any other newspaper. The challenges of being women doing journalism and questioning authority, does that bring about dangers for them? You know, when we were shooting, um, the, there were only two kinds of reactions from people, especially men in positions of power when they saw a journalist from Kavaleria. It was either complete shock of is she asking me these intelligent questions uh, <laughs> with a phone camera which is rolling right now because they're used to seeing Dalit women clean their toilets not uh, putting their intelligence and intellect at display so it was either that or uh, a certain kind of mansplaining oh this is how you should do it and they navigate these two extremes with a lot of panache very mindful of the danger in both and everything in between. Uh, there have been instances where they've been singled out, their cameras have been snatched, there have been instances where they're questioned about the credibility of them being women and, and reporting news because that image is completely missing. With them going digital, the amount of trolling that is happening has only shot up and these are trolls who live the, in their own villages share the same uh, auto rickshaw or the bus with them. So the proximity to danger is very real and it's right there. But these are seasoned journalists. They've been around in the region now for 19 years. So they've done their groundwork. There's a lot of respect and trust that the communities have for them. And the fact that these are women from the community reporting on issues about the community. And that has a very strong resonance with people. So there have been many times when we are filming with a character and somebody just randomly walks into the frame and say, oh, you did that story about no electricity in the school. You know, the electricity is here. Thank you so much. Uh, or somebody else will say, oh, there's no water in my village for the past 20 days. And I've done a lot of uh, running around, but no one listens to me. Can you come and do a story? And that's where you really feel impact day in and day out and in the initial months or years they weren't even like archiving this impact 
and then we were in one meeting where uh, uh, Meera was like, we need to start documenting this impact because that is how we can actually to our own selves say that this work matters because on an everyday basis, you don't really see tangible change. This is difficult work. Physically, emotionally, it, it's something that drains you. And also just for context, uh, they're operating in a region in India where statistically and consistently it records some of the highest cases of sexual violence against women, some of the highest cases of violence against Dalits and uh, notoriously high levels of corruption. When you understand that it's such a violent and patriarchal setup within which these women have emerged, it makes their work even more special. Wow, thank you. Um, How were they trained? Because they sound like they've been doing this and are very comfortable in this. Their model of training is interesting because they have so much goodwill and they have built these relationships over a period of time. You have journalists, filmmakers from the industry going in to consistently train the women. It could be topics ranging from ethics to something as practical as how do you work with the phone camera? And these training workshops are very, very consistent. Within the Kabbalaria system of functioning, the idea always is to break away from a pyramid structure and to look at how do we train women for them to become future leaders? And how does that leadership not just get contained in one position? So can the journalist in front of me who I'm training right now be raised as a leader for a year down the line to train somebody else? That's essentially been the Kavalaria ethos. And that's what we witnessed four and a half years on the ground with them. Mira essentially trained Sunita. And Sunita, of course, this is not there in the film, went on to train a group of younger women Similarly, Shamkali's story, who somebody who is so reticent about the use of technology, now is one of the leading camera women very sought after within the news network and extremely confident about how to move through these highly volatile spaces as journalists. So there's a lot of peer learning, but there is all, it is always supplemented with, say, industry experts who are coming in to do very focused sort of workshops before the pandemic hit at least once a year, all the women would get together for an off-site training where they're having fun, but they're also strategizing and planning for the next year ahead. That's the model that they work uh, with. Tell me about a specific, maybe a poignant moment um, during the filming of the work where something was really moving to you or maybe there was a really intense moment So the film unit, actually, the film crew was three of us, Sushmit, me, and our co-cinematographer, Karan. And we'd usually split into two, uh, two teams if both our protagonists would be out in the field. So Sushmit would be a one-man unit doing sound and, and everything together. And Karan and I would be the second team. And one, one such day, we were with Sunita. And she's doing the scene, uh, which, which is a scene in the film, a story on a road in a village that's surrounded by illegal mines and and then the road is in a very bad shape because these heavy trucks sort of like go in and out on a a tiny road which is not meant to take that kind of traffic and the villagers were very uh, angry and that's the scene into which that we entered and 
suddenly when they figured that a woman journalist was coming to report it became very aggressive as you see in the film sunita gets surrounded by a large group of men and this one man starts interrogating her saying oh you media folks you're so corrupt what kind of a media person comes walking media people are given cash and and cars and you know you're not a credible media you know you need to get out and it just keeps escalating and at one point i felt so scared uh, extremely threatened that i was like if the one centimeter more of you know aggression here i don't know how we're going to extract ourselves from here and uh, karan and i had a moment of you know should we stop rolling should we just stop sort of like you know retreat and give some sort of signal to sunita to just she just held her ground and at that point i just told karan just focus on her you know just keep the camera rolling on her and i kept my eyes on her and just with her body language with the art of negotiation that was her armory she just engaged them she stood her ground and just progressed she counter argued but it was all logical she met aggression with a certain amount of reason and by the end of the whole uh, you know about 30 40 odd minutes the men were ready to give her an interview and agreed with her <laughs> and one man actually came and touched her feet and said thank you for doing this and you know thank you for reporting our story um and this one person who was giving her a really tough time just sort of came to us and said we have nowhere else to go the police threatens us the illegal mining mafia threatens us uh, journalists land up and ask for bribes to publish the story and we, we just don't know what to do we don't know whom to trust and i think that moment where there was maximum heat i've never had an experience like that and that's when i think i myself called into question my own privilege of feeling scared and and the choice that i have to step away and and sunita denying herself that choice she wanted to stay and she wanted to do her story because it matters some people don't give themselves that privilege of choice i think there was a very very powerful experience uh, for all of us i mean <laughs> to sunita it just looked like any other day it felt like you know this this is a part of what she does and you can see where that sense of commitment uh, and 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 a heart burning for justice you know and we see these big things but when you see it play out it's just very very powerful to watch i think it'll it'll always stay with me it has many many uh, dimensions that that particular moment in the making of this film that was rintu thomas speaking with me alongside sushmeet ghosh the directors of the documentary writing with fire about kabarlaria a news outlet run by dalit women in northern india the film screens virtually this coming sunday evening You can find more information about this film and other Tasvir featured films at tasvirfestival.org. That's T A S V E E R festival.org. To listen to more KBCS stories, you can visit kbcs.fm and go to the news tab or subscribe to the KBCS podcast.